Hello and welcome to First Get Friday, episode 86. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 20th episode of season 4, We're So Screwed, part 2, Hot to Katrazzi. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of this week's episode. John and the rest of the crew crash negotiations between the Scarron Emperor Stalik and Commandant Greza. As John offers wormhole tech with a nuke as a safety measure, the crew instigates a riot between the Cherids and the Kalish. Just when they're about to rescue Scorpius, he double-crosses them and knocks John out, making him a double or is that triple agent? I don't know, but we have part two of a three-parter for our four, season four endgame. And this time our crew is rescuing Scorpius, which honestly, if you'd asked me this at the beginning of season one, if we'd ever be here, I would not have said that this would have been possible. But yet here we are. So this is a fast paced ep with some really snappy writing and our crew once more walking into the lion's den. Only this time it's the Scarens. You know, there's actually quite a lot of similarities between this trilogy and with like Into the Lion's Den part one and two from the season one ender when they basically waltz into Scorpius's command carrier. And also it reminded me of the season one finale where they are infiltrating and rescuing John at the Gamic base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, like I said, their three parters tend to follow kind of an arc that you eventually learn to feel out. One of the things that really works for me here is that it starts kind of in media res and then they just kind of they just keep going from there you know <laughs> oh my god it's so hilarious when they're in low lock flying into the scarin base katrazi and of course they have to tell the audience what's going on it's like the as you know bob trope except they they make it so that aaron is like asking shiana why don't you listen when we make our plans <laughs> and basically being like oh shiana wasn't listening so we have to explain the plan again to her or right Nigel's complaining about the plan, so we have to explain how simple it is in, like, the three beat. Like, we go in, we get Scorpius, we get out. Simple, right? Which is what Aaron says. And then later, when they're on the base and they're doing a little bit of planning, Norianti's falling asleep, and they're and she has to be woken up and reminded of the plan. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's just It just made me laugh when that happened. That was the thing about this episode. It's actually quite funny in a lot of ways. Like, the writing on it's really good. Yeah, it's a really sharp episode. I think that I didn't I I don't know how much I I don't know how much I liked it compared to to part 1 just cuz it feels so different. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it's in an entirely different location. Yeah, it's an entirely different location, which actually it does feel a little bit more like Liars, Guns, and Money than I think their other um, their other trilogies. Because you look at like look at the princess, you look at Into the Lion's Den, like all of those ones kind of occurred in the same place. So they all kind of have this overarching plot that pulled the three episodes together, and it was a lot to do with place. Mm-hmm. And I think here, because we switch places, we're also switching plots a lot, like. Episode one was a rescue mission. Episode two is also a rescue mission, but it just feels different than, you know, I think in almost in a lot of ways, this didn't, this didn't need to be part two. Do you know what I mean? Right. You could have had part one fetal attraction, the last week's episode, 
be a standalone by itself and just call it fetal attraction. And that's like rescue Aaron. And then this one and the next one, which are located at Katrazzi, be a two-parter. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that really echoes that is that it feels like things happened in between last ep- well i mean things did happen <laughs> between mm-hmm. last episode and this episode and so you do feel a little bit kind of like even though i like that it begins in media res because it means that we don't have three katrazzi episodes which i think <laughs> would have been unnecessary yeah at the same time i think it's interesting that this feels so different even though it's pretty much the same plot as the previous mm-hmm. episode. Like, they have to rescue somebody. <laughs> so they're going to create a distraction. The distraction gets a little bit out of hand. And then the rescue attempt doesn't go as well as they hope it does. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, it's pretty much right. exactly the same plot, but it feels different. Well, the plot part doesn't bother me so much because almost in a television format, almost all rescue plots are like that. Like, mm-hmm. there has to be something that goes wrong in the middle and then that either succeeds or doesn't succeed. This is the first of a two-parter, so of course it doesn't succeed because we have to put our characters into even more peril before we resolve it in the the next part. So that part didn't bother me so much, but I definitely do think that there is is a separation of of the plot line for parts two and three. I know we haven't watched three yet, but we will get there from part one. Yeah. So yeah, and it's also a different motivation because the goal of part one is to get Aaron, and now the motivation has switched. Right, the motivation mm-hmm. is to get Scorpius and then get out of there. So you have two goals that have happened, so that makes it feel less like a trilogy and more like a sequential thing. Yeah, I don't actually care what they name this episode. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, who cares yeah. if it's part one or part two or part three? You know, like who who care who yeah. cares? But at the same time, just for character consistency's sake, which tends to be Farscape's strong suit, like Farscape tends to remember things about its characters in ways that other shows don't. <laughs> and so we didn't really see any Aaron recovery time. It yeah. really did just kind of feel like she goes from being completely destroyed by being tortured and having to give up John and almost losing her baby. And then in this episode, she and John are back to their flirty best, you know? And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that I don't love that because that's yeah. honestly some of my favorite stuff about Farscape. Yeah. But. So basically what you're saying is we need a reprise of what they did at the end of season one where they had uh, Nerve and the Hidden Memory. And then they had this weird episode, Bone to be Wild, where they go on an asteroid and have a little adventure. And John is all PTSD all over the place. And then they come back and destroy the gimmick base in the season finale. Yes. Yeah. I think I just need, I think I just need a little more Aaron recovery time. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, I kind of had that thought too. But as you say, I love seeing her and John basically be partners in sync. And actually, let's go ahead and get into it because that's mm-hmm. one of the first things that John says when he arrives and the crew arrive into Katrazzi. You know, they basically are turning themselves in. We've had this short open on Scorpius being tortured. So we know that War Minister Akna, who we met before in Bringing Home the Beacon, is torturing Scorpius, trying to get the wormhole information that she thinks he has. And meanwhile, Stalik and Commandant Greza are having 
peace negotiations and she's trying to threaten him with wormholes and he's not buying it and they're just back and forth and then here comes John Crichton and crew and the first thing he says when uh, Greza says John Crichton when he walks into the room is and partner because Aaron is by his side and they are so in sync this whole episode it's it's kind of like that return to season two three kind of partnership between the two of them where they're they're buddy cops and and you know, they're, they're a team and it's just, it's a lot of fun to watch and they're in love and you have these little flirty moments and stuff too. And as we play this, as John is doing all this, he's like standing on a table and he's kind of <laughs> John Crichton nutso and like John Crichton nutso at his best. Aaron is in the background, completely silent and she is just smiling. She is enjoying <laughs> the show. She really is. So John has walked in with a nuclear fission bomb strapped to his body. And I didn't get the whole scene because it's really long, but he goes through and he says, I have every kind of dead man switch on my body. And he goes through, do not basically a do not F with me kind of speech. So you got to give me what I want. And this is what Stalik, the emperor of the Scaran empire, who is all in red. He's great. Asks him. What do you want? What do I want? What do I want? I have not been chasing my ass all over the galaxy trying to pull out chunks of my brain. I have not been sneaking fembots and screeths into the places where I live. You want something! You. You want what's inside my head. You want what I know about wormholes. Because I can leap tall galaxies in a single bound. I can scorch planets with a wave of my hand and you, and you, and you. You can't do it, Jack. That's not true. Oh, really? You command the stars to do your bidding. I know you can't. And you can't. And you can't. And you won't. But I have. Then why are you here? Because I am an American. And what does an American want? Democracy? Capitalism! I want to sell out and settle down. For one day only, it's a blue light special on aisle three. My wormhole technology and preset of steak knives are all the tea in China. And anything you can imagine to pay me. Pay? Yes, pay! Cash. He's crazy. Isn't it fun? Welcome to my Cold War. Now, what am I offered for all the powers of the universe? I just love that speech. Well, there's basically two questions. You have the first one of, of that Stalik asks which is, what do you want? And John's like, I don't want nothing. 
you guys want something and I'm the one who has it. And then basically says, buy me off. And I also love that, that he says like, I'm an American and no one has any idea what that means because throughout this entire show, he's been referenced as a human. His species has defined him, but not his nation. And I find that really interesting that this is really the first time that's come up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hilarious how correctly he pegs being what an American is. (laughs) What do we want? Capitalism. Money. He actually has a really good one later on with Stalik, where Stalik is kind of like, well, what do you want? Because, you know, at this point, John is just opening negotiations. He says, hey, it's free season. And then, you know, of course, Greza makes an offer and then Stalik makes his offer. And when Stalik kind of comes to him, he's like, "Okay, well, tell me what you want. And John has this whole speech. And even though this is all kind of a front to get Scorpius back, John really does kind of show his underbelly in that next speech where he essentially goes, when you wake up every day, what do you hear? You know, you hear the Mm -hmm. little emperor birds and you, you know, you sit in your nice emperor bed and, you know, you he talks about how. Stalik's life is very relaxing compared to John's where he's being hunted down all the time. And mm-hmm. even though we've seen enough of the Scarens to know that Stalik probably sleeps with a knife under his pillow, <laughs> you know, at the same time, I think that that really does that kind of echoes here. Again, this is a front, but at mm. the same time, John is kind of like, Hey, what would you guys offer me? How far right. are you willing to go? And I love a couple of, a couple of different break-ins that we hear in that, which is one where Greza interrupts him halfway through. And he's like, you guys don't have the power to wor- have wormholes, essentially. And Greza says, no, we do. No, we do. You know, Because that's-, that's her whole thing. Yeah, because yeah. right before John walked in, Greza had kind of been fronting like, well, we're building wormhole, you know, we're building wormhole weapons every single day. And it's getting harder and harder not to use them. And then also somebody else breaks in and he's they're like, he's crazy. And yes, the Kalish. Yeah, the Kalish is like, he's crazy. And Aaron's like, isn't it great? <laughs> <laughs> right, because this is their every day, and that's where he's going off. And I also think it's, you know, he's walking in there with a nuclear bomb attached to himself. And he even, you know, they ask him what that is. And he's like, it's a plutonium fission, you know, or plutonium something implosion detonator. And it's a fission bomb. And it's it's like the bomb that United States used to bomb Japan in World War Two. And actually, later on, John even references himself as Fat Man, which was one of the code names for the, the plutonium bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki. So, you know, he's very aware of what he's doing and he calls himself a nuclear terrorist and the other thing that struck me about this going back to the his you know i'm an american comment he's coming in here with demands with basically a gun to the thing they want and yes the gun is to himself because but he's the knowledge that he has is what they want mm-hmm. but it's it's also feels very american in a quite depressing way where you know we will destroy your country unless you give us what you want mm-hmm. i mean That's kind of our country's MO. It's sad, but true. So I don't know, just all of those elements together. And then he's, you know, he is his pop culture references. He's references Superman and just all these iconic things that kind of get mushed together. But the end of the day, he is holding himself hostage Mm -hmm. in order to get Scorpius out, make a stall and try and keep wormhole information away from these two superpowers. Yeah, and I love how when they introduce the concept of the bomb, it's actually on Lola, and he he says, 
you know, oh, you know, this is a nuclear bomb. And he, you know, so that we as an audience know that it actually is. And he he says something like this is humanity's greatest contribution to absurdity or something like that. Yeah, and I that's, think that's right. And that's kind of what this feels like. Again, like this feels like he's always had his blinders off about humans. Like we've seen that since a human reaction happened in season one. You mm-hmm. know, he's always had his blinders off about humans, but this whole season has kind of been how far will humans go? What are humans really like? You know, and yeah. I think that this is this is him being like, I'm willing to blow up me, Aaron, everybody on this planet, and all of my friends yeah. just to save the universe. I mean, not just yeah. to save the universe, but to save the universe, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a great act of desperation, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw this a little bit with Into the Lion's Den at the end of season three. You know, they discussed outright, Scorpius cannot have this information, and we will destroy everything that he has done so far, all his research, all the peacekeepers, you know, they try and let people live, but ultimately they make the choice to blow up the command carrier Mm -hmm. and kill all the soldiers who had, you know, they're just soldiers. And so this is kind of then that same vein of desperation, right? Mm -hmm. He's got a weapon that will destroy the planet or moon or whatever they're on the space station that looks like a, anyway, whatever they're on, because that is who he is and what he's willing to do in order to prevent, the wrath of an empire with, you know, weapons that they shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's heroic or not. Is it? <laughs> I think it is. He's also at this point, if he blows up this moon, he's blowing up the Scarin Emperor, which will cause the Scarin Empire to go into chaos momentarily because he's also, mm-hmm. he's also blowing up Minister Anka, who's kind of the woman that really wants the emperor's job. So he's blowing yeah. up the two people that might be able to coalesce power and control the Scarn Empire. And he's blowing up Greza. And Greza is literally the only one that wants peace with the Scarens. So mm-hmm. with her out of the picture, I'm sure the peacekeepers would very quickly go to war with the Scarens, which means that if he blows this whole situation up, then the universe will descend into chaos, but at least they'll be moving away from wormhole tech. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to develop wormhole <laughs> tech when you're blowing each other up. Right. Right. And he's also banking on the two sides wanting to survive and wanting the weapon. Yeah. And we get to see a little bit of that when he meets with Commandant Greza. I think that's the first one they meet with, right? Yeah. So the crew splits up. Basically, we everyone has an assignment. Aaron and John's assignment is to go talk to Greza and hear her pitch. And she's like, we need to save Sebations and don't turn your back on us. And they're kind of unconvinced because they're like, wow, aren't you hypocritical about everything? (laughs) And so her pitch kind of falls on deaf ears. So we also have Braca here. And I just want to mention that because he comes up again (laughs) later. Um, While they've split up, Sokozu has gone. And I guess Sokozu is a Kalish. Like, she is a Kalish. Yeah. yeah. And so mm. she actually goes and talks to the head Kalish in charge. And she's kind of like, hey, I have this information. And he kind of brushes her off. But his second is like, well, you can't be seen talking to her. So I'm going to talk to her. Um, and then we get this really interesting conversation that kind of threw mm. me. Yeah. So she's, she's what, warning them about the Cherids or something like that? Yeah. Because the crew's plan, just to set it up, is that they want to, they're going to cover their escape with Scorpius by making the Cherids and the Kalish fight each other and riot. 
You will submit identification details before we can process a background analysis. I will not submit for a background appraisal. You will trust me as I am or I am gone. What of your background? How many other Byloids are here? I'm the one Resistance member to infiltrate this posting. How much hatred exists here between the Chariots and the Kalish? Even more than the Outer Worlds. There's more at stake. Bigger egos. Then I will be straight with you. We want to ignite that hatred and we want to use it as a cover for our escape. So during the quiet spots during that quote, what you see on screen is Sokozu's eye, one of her eyes turning around and showing like a different pattern on the back of her eyeball. And I'm like, what happened to your optical nerve, girl? <laughs> but... And, you know, that's what she says. And what about your credentials? And then the other Kalish dude, the second in command, does the same thing. And then they have this moment where their foreheads touch. And that's when she starts, she breaks her cover and she says, hey, how many other, was it? How many other bioloids are here? Mm-hmm. And that's the bit was just a bit like, what? What's going on? Yeah. Not only is she asking about bioloids, but then he clarifies resistance members. So yeah. that indicates to me that they've the resistance members are either using byloids maybe because they like are regenerative in a certain way or maybe also because they're expendable maybe there's mm-hmm. another sokozu wandering out there somewhere you know right because the implication that i got from that was like how many others are here how many other byloids that means you and me who have this crazy eye thing going on without an optical nerve is like are they byloids yeah no they are that's how i read it and my jeez yeah i've forgotten so much about this episode dude i've forgotten like this entire season (laughs) it's coming as a complete surprise to me but so i think that what really worked for me here was we've had so many questions about sokozy right yeah and i just really like the depth here it kind of reminds me a lot of uh, i mean avid listeners will know that i'm like really bummed that we never get a nabari plot line but this kind of feels like that you know, of like, yeah. there's all these p- back politics that we don't understand. This is why we needed season five. Yeah. But single anyway. tier. Single tier. <laughs> so. Yeah. So there's this Kalish resistance group that uses mm-hmm. bioloids of which she and this second in command who has now infiltrated the Katrazi, but he's the only one. And so that's kind of the backstory we get. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't really develop much more in this episode. So we'll have to see what happens next episode because I honestly can't remember Mm -hmm. um, what happens with it. But she's got a partner on the inside now. So meanwhile, Rigel and Dargo are assigned to the Cherids. And Rigel actually plays his hand really well, maybe because he is kind of thinking that, hey, this way a bunch of Cherids are going to die because he's playing (laughs) it very politically. Like Dargo shows up and they're making fun of the Kalish and then Dargo drinks with them. And then Dargo, they're like, hey, you know... Or somehow it comes up that Dargo is getting paid really, really, really well by Rigel. And then Rigel mm-hmm. shows up and they're kind of stirring the shit because they're like, you know, throughout this whole, I'm just going to kind of summarize because it keeps cutting back to them. But essentially the yeah. way that they stir up the Cherids is that they say, oh, hey, yeah, you should come work for me. I pay really well. And by the way, the 
the Scareds are about to develop wormhole tech. And when they develop wormhole tech, they're not going to need soldiers. They're going to need techs like the Kalish. And the Chereds are all like, but we're partners. And they're like, no, you're servants. You are basically slaves to the the Scareds. (laughs) And of course, that gets the the Chereds backs up about that. So they're all hating on the Kalish again. And as we heard in the clip, you know, there's lots of tension between the Chereds and the Kalish already. Yeah. And at this point, Sokozu has planted the idea in kind of the the head Kalishas in, in his mind that the Chereds are about to push the Kalish out, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not helped by the fact that Captain Jenek, who of the, the Scaran who had Aaron prisoner, He's the science captain. Anyway, they scanned John's bomb with the with the DRD, and they're like, "We it's gonna take us a couple of days to figure out how this works because it's made from you know basically spare parts and plutonium, which of course it is." John, I just love that detail. And so <laughs> Captain Jenik is like, "Oh, you don't have time. You better fix this, or we'll find someone who will." Kind of, kind of, you know, posturing with the with Kalish. the Kalish. Mm-hmm. And so that makes the Kalish worried because Sukozu's new friends basically says, oh, it's just like she said, they're going to get rid of us if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. So lots of pot stirring going on. Yeah. I also want to point out that um, John is very smart, but he is an astrophysicist. <laughs> and my point of pause at the very beginning of the episode was like, somebody else had to build that bomb. I bet Pilot built that bomb or something <laughs> like that. Or Neuranti, you know? I, I but just, John is an engineer too. I'm not okay. saying that he's not a good engineer, but I'm saying that building a fission bomb is... <laughs> really complex (laughs) yeah i mean i won't dispute that so yeah it's one of those things where we just have to accept that john is basically the genius scientist so he knows everything you know who might have built it sakozu i would actually bet that sakozu could build that bomb okay i'm gonna let it go but i'm just saying uh so anyway let's get back to scorpius who Anka has essentially tortured to near heat death. You know, he's mm-hmm. doing that drooling thing. His cooling rods are red. It's really gross. He is not doing too well. And she brings in his second interrogator. Because at this point, Emperor Stalik has um, pushed Captain Jenik by saying, you need to figure out how to do this bomb or essentially I'm going to kill you. And then he turns to Anka, who he knows is gunning for his job. And mm-hmm. so he's like you need to break Scorpius. And she says, well, he's ready for his second interrogator. And who turns out to be his second interrogator? Stark! Ah! With hair. I've noticed that in all of his reappearances, he's had hair. And I think it's because, like, (laughs) the actor was like, no, I'm not shaving my head anymore. (laughs) Anyway, here is Stark's second opening of his interrogation. And let's have a listen. I've wished many a cycle for the Scorpius. Dreamed so many sleepless dreams. Every dashed hope. Every plunge into terrified despair that I suffered at your hands in the Aurora chair. But rather than the two cycles that fate gave you to screw with my soul, she's only given me two arms to be finished with you. So... I guess I'd better be a little more imaginative. I think this may have possibilities. Oh, 
Stark. I love that his characterization is very consistent. He really hates Scorpius. <laughs> he knows how to hold a grudge. I mean, he held he a does. grudge for John for like <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to remember, when was the last time that we saw Stark? Uh, he left after he went a little bit crazy. I want to say definitely last season. The choice, right? Yeah, I think it was the choice. It was definitely, uh, yeah, it was like the choice or like an episode very soon after because he Mm -hmm. left and then he didn't come back to Moya with them, I want to say. But they took his mask. Yes. His mask was delivered to To John. John So that he could have a message from Talon John. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, because I know he wasn't there during Into the Lion's Den. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he has a new mask now on mm-hmm. half of his face, and he's when part of his torture with Scorpius is opening up his his light energy being thing to to you know hurt him with you know evil memories and whatnot. But yeah, which kind of dark. Of, yeah, but there's a lot of darkness in Stark. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that he absorbs the evil of people that he crosses over, which is something he's mentioned, but it's also he's had a really difficult life. Mm-hmm. He is a slave for much of it and you know he was a prisoner of scorpius and he was tortured for two years i mean john was in the chair for what a few days a week maybe mm-hmm. stark was there for years two years in or two cycles and that's a really long time and a really plenty of time to have lots of darkness and uh get broken and even if you sustain yourself through it and you survive it that still changes you yeah i mean and you know the love of his life zan died Mm -hmm. kind of by her own hand saving john the love of john's life you know which kind of really rankled stark and then also i think all of his people are dead i think he's like the last of his species yeah, something like that. So, or, or at least many of his fellow, or at least uh, many of the fellow Bannock slaves were murdered by Scorpius when he was mm-hmm. getting Jothy. I don't know if it's his species, but, you know, like 10,000 slaves are murdered. Just boom. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of trauma and a lot of things he has to work through. And I guess Anka is giving him an opportunity to get rid of some of his anger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yep. don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's just, I'm glad we see Stark again. But I'm also a little bit like, how did he get there? No, yeah, there's like some definite, you know, how did he get there? How did Anka realize that he was going to go after Scorpius? You know, like, uh, it's definitely, I mean, he must have been looking for Scorpius. He must have been looking for a way to hurt Scorpius. And I have a vague memory that I think we learned some of this in the next episode, so maybe we'll revisit it then. But I do think it's interesting that they've they've brought Stark back. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still not quite sure what I think of it. Yeah. So John and Aaron have discovered what level Scorpius is on because Chiana and Naranti heard Scorpius screaming in the ducks and they figured out he was below them. Mm-hmm. And so John and Aaron, who have been given free reign because Emperor Stalik kind of wants to do the same thing Scorpius did, which I'm like, why do you keep giving people free access? Why do you keep giving these people? They keep blowing up bases and <laughs> banks. They are three for three right now. So just sad. Yeah. So they are wandering around the halls, and who do they run into but Braca? <gasps> Braca! Oh my gosh, I love this little bit. Hey, Braca. You look a little lost. Does mommy know you're here? Does mommy know he's Scorpius's boy? Oh no, mommy doesn't know.
Are you here to rescue him or kill him? I love the actor who plays him, who because his face when they say when John says, "Does Mummy know he's Scorpius's boy?" and you can just see that he's like he knows his covers is blown, but then he's gonna like ask him anyway because he is Scorpius's boy and he wants to know how he is. <laughs> oh, I slash it so much. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of undeniable at this point, especially what with Scorpius <laughs> like super clearly enjoying having people under his heel. I think mm-hmm. it's hilarious though that like. They keep they refer to Greza as mummy, which I'm like, uh, yeah, Braca's issues are showing. <laughs> and number two, I'm like, how did they know? I don't imagine. I had sp- that question too. Like, I can't imagine Scorpius giving Braca up. So either they were taking a stab in the dark because he mm-hmm. was also looking for Scorpius, or I'm just gonna go with they were taking a stab in the dark and it paid off. I so I feel like at some point and I don't remember when Scorpius mentioned that he had a sm- he had a spy on Greza's ship mm-hmm. and maybe they made the connection that oh it's probably Braca kind of mm-hmm. connection because I was wondering that too it's like wait how did John know that did they did Scorpius tell them I, you know it's just like I don't know <laughs> so so yeah so I'm I'm gonna say that they made an educated guess or you know just based on that, the little things that Scorpius has, has hinted at. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure at this point, they've probably talked a lot about Scorpius. So probably they've been yeah. like, I wonder if, you know, but anyway, <laughs> so yeah. John and Aaron run into Scorpius or well, they don't run they into- go into the, tr- they go into the interrogation room. He's he, Scorpius is in this little cage thing there. He can't move. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's all very cagey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like one of those cages that like you can't sit down in. there's nowhere for him to sit down which actually yeah. is a really terrible torture technique so they go to they find scorpius they kind of like look at scorpius because now they know he's alive but anka is there stark hides himself before they come in i think he was hiding before they came in or i don't know but he was already being you know, he had two hours. He had to take a break. Anka was talking to Scorpius again, and that's when they came in. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So now they know where Scorpius is. They kind of know how he's guarded. They leave. They no. We got to talk about this one a little bit though, because Anka at this point she's the one early on after John's big speech when she's talking to Sitalik on her own. She's like, I think he's bluffing, and I think they're here to rescue Scorpius. So points to Anka for figuring that part out. Mm-hmm. But she tests John here. She's like, you know, I don't think you're telling the truth. I think that Scorpius does know about the wormholes and you're here to get him out and that the nuclear bomb is not actually going to do anything. It's a bluff. And so she actually heat heat does the heat sensor thing on John. And of course, he's, you know, on his knees, the the mind trick thing going, he can't lie. And his heart rate goes up and you hear the beeping of the of the nuclear bomb as it goes up and goes up and goes up and goes up. Mm-hmm. And it's this moment of, is Anka going to really cause it to trigger? Is John bluffing? Is he not? Anka's the one who actually breaks the game of chicken and says, you're insane. And, mm-hmm. and Aaron is also kind of like beside herself because John's getting hurt. She's been held back by a guard. And 
She's like, yeah, you are insane. This is a cr- insanity that we're trying to do here. He really is wearing a nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. Anka tried to call his bluff and witness you know, how dedicated John is to this plan that, yeah, he is he is actually going to do it. And so you, we get the, the physiological cues from his body, the dead men switch. He, he said at the beginning that he has switches from every culture on his ship and some I don't know of. So it's not just like his heart rate. It's like all sorts of cues that are, are keyed into it. Yeah. And the other thing I want to point out here is during that conversation, she says, I bet that you're going to turn it off. You Mm -hmm. know, like that's how she's calling his bluff is is not that she doesn't necessarily believe it's a bomb, but that she believes that he'll, you know, pull the plug before it goes off. And then he kind of says to her, I can't do what I don't know how to do. I don't know how to turn this off, which leads Mm -hmm. me to also be like, I think maybe somebody else (laughs) built this bomb for him. So... Yeah, or he deliberately made it something that he couldn't do. Like he yeah. said, hey, hey, Sokozu or pilot, I need you to do this part of like mm-hmm. the off switch because I, I need to not have that, have that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So John and Aaron um, are allowed to leave because Anka now believes that he is exactly as crazy <laughs> as John Crichton actually is. She <laughs> has bought into the John Crichton is nuts. <laughs> yep, and, and uh, meanwhile, Sokozu has figured out with her new buddy a way to incite a riot between mm-hmm. the Kalish and the Cherids. And so the plan is there's this cavern down at the bottom of the moon that only Scarens have the access codes to, which of course the Kalish dude has stolen. And uh, he plans to set it up so it looks like the Cherids, who are in charge of security, have accidentally done left something. Left it open. To, left it open. And so John and Aaron are going to quote-unquote wander in basically be a way for you know whose fault is it that they were able to get to the super secret uh place and so john and aaron do go down and they actually have this really touching little moment on the elevator where john basically has aaron and they dance together in this kind of quiet coupley moment Mm -hmm. oh um but they go down there and uh they see a field of flowers and a big giant flower. And it's mm-hmm. like, this is the Scarin's most precious secret. And earlier on, uh, Stalik had offered one of these flower treats because they, they eat them. They're like the snacky things. I think we saw the one in the last episode mm-hmm. on... on um, the space station. On the space station. And John has this offhand comment that, yeah, you know, hummingbird fodder, it's, it's a bird of paradise. And my mom had them in her garden at home. So they kind of look like a bird of paradise. If you've ever seen them, they're red flowers i think they're native to australia or the or the the south pacific i could be wrong so someone from there please correct me but they they kind of look like a bird they're kind of like thin and they have petals that kind of go off like wings a little Mm -hmm. bit um so anyway so that's what they find down there so there's another added mystery that's not answered this episode which we get i think we get more info on later Mm -hmm. it's like why is this the Scarin's most prized possession? Yeah. And so not only will I point out that it, this is heavily guarded because the Kalish don't have the, the Kalish don't have the code. Only the Cherids do. But I want to point out a couple more things about the Birds of Paradise. You just want to keep in mind that this is so, this is like their top secret level. And then yeah. also remember back to the episode where we found out about Scorpius's past. And we also saw the <gasps> Birds of Paradise. Oh my there. God. Right. Yeah, so, Incubator from season three. Yeah. yeah. So just like a little reminder that like the, the, you know, his parents landed on this planet and there were birds of paradise on this planet and then the Scarens went to that planet. Right. They are, of course, immediately found in the middle of doing some nookie 
And it's actually <laughs> hilarious really because nobody's like shooting them. But then they get taken in front of Stalik and Stalik is like, how did you get in? And they're like, I don't know. Some chairs got off the elevator. We got off the elevator. We saw this like really cool garden. We thought we'd have sex in it. <laughs> and it's kind of hilarious. And Stalik is like really, really pissed. Yeah. And so he actually tells off Anka because apparently the chairs are under her command. Well, she's the Minister of War. Yeah, she's the Minister of War, so she's in charge of the Chariots, and he's also kind of like, oh, and by the way, you also haven't broken Scorpius. And then, Mm -hmm. so after she leaves to go find out which of the Chariots was responsible for this, which, oh my God, they have the most hilarious moment, because he goes to Aaron and John, he's like, which Chariots got off the elevator? And they both look at him, and they're like... Are you crazy? And they're like, you should have numbers on them or something. We don't know which chair it's They look alike. It's hysterical. And oh my gosh, Claudia Black's face when she gives them the look is just like priceless. So worth watching. That's what I'm talking about with this episode. There's so many little one-off little things with the two of them that are just hysterically funny as they're just baiting them. Okay. I totally feel though that this, I mean, I'm okay. I definitely agree with you that the like, them together this is like John and Aaron at their best you Mm -hmm. know and I'm so glad we get to see them at their best for these last three episodes of the season you know what I mean because it's been a while it's been a season and a half I know so the other thing I want to point out is I'm like this is the problem with stormtroopers which is like why the beginning of um of the new Star Wars movies works really well for me what was the new one Mm -hmm. called um, Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Because <laughs> they like immediately have somebody like get blood on Finn's helmet. So then in the rest of the scenes, you know which one he is because they all look the same. Yeah. Well, they all look the same. So you could have interchangeable extras walking around in them. Yeah. So at the end of that conversation, after Anka walks out, John turns to Stalik and says, and I want Scorpius because mm-hmm. she's pissing me off. And I want to piss her off. And I also love that he like keeps making fun of her hat, Miss Big Hat. <laughs> She's wearing a tall, a big giant hat, which is, I think, their attempt to make Francesca Bueller, who's playing Anka, look taller. Yeah, she's pretty petite. She's really small. Oh, and I also want to mention that this was the first time that they've had a scene together with her as War Minister Anka, which was the scene before when they were in the chamber with Scorpius and she was torturing Mm -hmm. him. So Mm -hmm. Stalik is like, ah, so you are after Scorpius. And John's like, nah, we just want to make her mad. (laughs) And then uh, Stalik goes down and he wants to talk to Scorpius. Scorpius. And he kicks Anka out. And then this conversation happens. I thought you said she couldn't harm you. And she couldn't! I'm fine. Quite fine. I've caused enough harm in my time to make it well. We still haven't found a way of disarming Crichton's weapon. But he has demonstrated a convincing command of wormholes. I could separate him from the bomb. He trusts me. More than he realizes. Just bring him to me! Or will you betray me? I'll serve you for ten cycles as a spy! Why would I betray you now? Betray me and you will die in this machine. But deliver Crichton's knowledge to me. And all the power you seek will be yours. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. When Scorpius says, I've been your spy for ten cycles, I had completely forgotten that. 
Ah, Scorpius, what's your deal? Like, seriously, I don't know what to think right now. Because on the one hand, you have this entire backstory of Scorpius has been built up that he hates the Scarens, and he hates his Scaren side, and he defected to the Peacekeepers, and he hates the Scarens, and he hates himself, and he hates the Scarens. And remember how he hates the Scarens? But then we have these little hints in season four where he's like a Scaren blood vow with John about, you know, before you help her find Aaron, Mm -hmm. right? And so you have this little bit of Scaren culture coming in and he does use his Scaren side when necessary and he's used it to help them, like his physiology and stuff. And now he's like still the spy for the last 10 years. So the question is, is it really true or is he a double agent or a triple agent? I don't know how many ways to say this, you know? Yeah. So if... <laughs> Anyway, so is he really working for Salik or is he working for Salik while he's working for the peacekeepers to make Salik think that he's on his side so he can get intel? Anyway, one of those confusing, complicated, complicated spy situations. Yeah. This is one of those interesting things about like spy, about triple spies. Because I think it, okay, I had this argument with my husband. I'm like, he'd have to be a triple spy if he's working for the peacekeepers. He's a double agent if he's working for the Scarens. So because he's actually working for the peacekeepers, which makes, that's his first level, right? (laughs) If he was a double agent, he would be working for the Scarens against the peacekeepers. And if he was a triple agent, then he would be working for the peacekeepers as a Scaren spy, working as a peacekeeper, right? So anyway. (laughs) No, I think I like that. I'm glad you explained it because I was like, I don't even know what to call it, but I still think... I don't know. I think because of Incubator, that episode where he's he's does we get his backstory and he's trying to convince John, clone John from the neural chip to side with him and give him the wormhole knowledge mm-hmm. and being like, This is why everyone hates Scarens or everyone should hate Scarens. Here's my backstory. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about that that I find so compelling for Scorpius's backstory mm-hmm. that I feel like he must be playing Stalik. I, I definitely also agree that there's I think there's something more going on here, especially when you at the end also there's some I feel like there's something much more going on here. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, Scorpy, dude, what are you doing? And this is my <laughs> thing about triple agents, though, because as uh-huh. a triple agent, you would have to be feeding the Scarens enough accurate information that they felt like you were actually working for them, which is mm-hmm. my issue with Atomic Blonde, where I'm like... Oh, I didn't see it. Oh, okay. Well, spoilers. Uh, spoilers. So just fast forward 15 seconds if you like have, <laughs> haven't seen the movie yet. But like, I mean, do you mind if I spoil it for you? No, okay. I'm not going to see it. <laughs> yeah. So it turns out that she's like a triple agent working for like the Americans. <laughs> it's like such a stupid reveal that I was like really irritated when it happened because it was like... She was, you know, because the whole movie is like, who's the Russian spy? Who's the Russian spy? And then it's like, she's the Russian spy. And then it's mm-hmm. like, nope, she's actually a triple agent working for the Americans. And mm-hmm. I'm like, so stupid. It's just very <laughs> irritating to me because the movie, like, the movie does not accurately portray how that would actually go down. But so anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, so Scorpius has got something going on, but Stalik trusts him enough and he thinks John trusts him enough. So, so yeah, it's, it's one of those complicated situations. The other thing that makes me think that he's got something else going on is like, he's using Braca as a 
double agent mm-hmm. i don't know but Braca is still on scorpius's spy even though he supposedly turned on him and worked for Greza. but really he's still reporting back to scorpius so you know like scorpius is a handler as well as being a spy at the same time mm-hmm. i don't know but just that the, the fact that he's gone through all that trouble to set something up for Braca so mm-hmm. that he has information i could totally see him either using himself because he has the scaran side and so he can have the scaran in you know, doing that same sort of, you know, I'm 10 steps ahead of you, the chess master chess player kind of situation. Yeah, because yeah. I definitely think Scorpius is like master chess player. So he's not revealing all of his plays yet. Mm-hmm. So Stalik and he have this interesting conversation. I do think it's hilarious that Scorpius is like literally like drooling and like <laughs> melting as he's convincing Stalik. He's like, no, I'm totally fine. She's not doing anything. She's not doing anything. And he's like practically a pile on the floor. I'm like, oh, Scorpius, your pride is shown, man. Yeah. So John gets his final offers from both mm-hmm. of the parties that he's pretending to sell wormhole secrets to. Grace hands over that apparently everybody has been pardoned mm-hmm. as long as he does not sell wormhole secrets to the Scarens. Which is a legit condition I feel. Mm-hmm. Also I found it was hilarious that, that John can't read the flimsy which has the print on it and he kept t- turning it up right side up and upside down. I think he could actually probably read some you know fairly basic you know whatever the standard script is at this point mm-hmm. but Aaron's the one who has to read it. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, she's better at reading, like, uh, well, also, she's Legalese. better at, yeah, reading, like, peacekeeper documents. So yeah. I, I think it's interesting that she points out that this pardons them completely, that it's already been signed, that even if he doesn't take up Grace's offer, everybody has been pardoned. Everybody's free. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the offer from Greza. And then we have go back to, um, Stalik. We go back Stalik. And John is agitating for his riot. He's like, where's my riot? Because, you know, they're, they need to get Scorpius out of there and they need a distraction. And so Stalik comes and he drags uh, Scorpius with him and he's like, here he is. Here's, here's your, my final offer. And this is with that, that speech you were referencing earlier when Stalik asks, you know, what do you want? And at the beginning of the episode, John did not answer. He said, you guys want something. But here he actually goes through like what I want is, you know, you wake up and be a happy emperor and I want to wake up and be a happy emperor and not feel like I have to, you know, watch over my back all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was an interesting speech. It really reminded me of the end of season one when he's talking with Crace mm-hmm. outside of his cell. Like, he's just been tortured. He's crying. Crace is on the other side of the bars for once. And he's just like, you have been hunting us. And how do you know what that feels like to hunt be hunted like that and that's the same kind of speech he has right here where he's talking to Stalik and he's like I want to not be a hunted man I want to mm-hmm. walk free and uh, Stalik does offer him protection also <laughs> he does add it with like I, I guarantee it with sincerity but do not like abuse my largesse it's very like emperor speak I don't know mm-hmm. I liked it I also like that as soon as Stalik was like, hey, sure, that's fine. I'll give you, you know, freedom. And John was like, how are you going to how are you going to follow that up, bro? And and Stalik was like, with like a lot of effort, you know, (laughs) Stalik realizes that, you know, John is not going to be secured. He's not going to be free without a lot of effort, especially since Mm -hmm. John doesn't plan on, you know, just settling down on some scaring world and living out his life as, you know, peacefully. So... 
Um, now they have Scorpius. They kind of take him, and John is ready for his riot. Yeah, so here's that conversation they have with Scorpius. My appreciation. My ass. <laughs> Did you tell them? Wormholes. My brain. Harvey. What? Did you tell them? Nothing! Listen up. I am Johnny Radiation because of you, Nosferatu. Everyone I care about west of the moon is here and in danger to make sure that you keep your mouth shut. Now! Did you keep your mouth shut? Yes! John? You believe him? Yes, I do. Good. Kill him, let's go. What? Kill him, and let's go. We came here to free him. No, we came here to make sure that my knowledge didn't slip out of his mouth. Kill him, Aaron, and let's go. Oh, you want me to kill him? Well, I'm not the assassin, am I? If you want him to die, you can kill him yourself. You made me promise that I wouldn't. Well, I release you from that promise. Say that again. I release you from that promise. you out later guys i apologize in advance for any incivility or insensitivity on my part but it is beer o'clock where the hell is my riot i kind of love that last line of of like it's beer o'clock where's my riot <laughs> but kind of going back they're, they're doing good cop bad cop here with scorpius right mm -hmm. you know you know aaron doesn't want to kill him because whatever reason and john's like we just have to kill him now and, you know, she releases him from the promise that she made him make not to kill Scorpius way back in promises. And, you know, for a moment there, I was like, are they really going to kill him? Because I'd mm -hmm. forgotten what happens in this episode. But, you know, they don't. And it makes me wonder because they were willing to leave him into the hands of the Scarens and the Scarens could have killed him. They're willing to, like, previously be like, why do we have Scorpius? We need to kill Scorpius. And then John couldn't kill him because of Harvey in his head or any of the other scenarios that we've run into with them. And it's just like, why are they not killing him now? I think because of Harvey. I think a yeah. mix of Harvey and then also now that they have him, it's different, like, just being like, eh, we're already in the car. We're not going back for the blanket. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not going yeah. back for the binky, you know? Versus still being in the house and being like, did you grab the binky? You know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So I think that there, there's a couple of things. I think Harvey, because they don't know yet what Harvey's going to do if they just kill an abandoned Scorpio. <laughs> and on number two, because I think that he's right there. So why not? Right. And they right. also they don't know what he knows, life. you know, because he if they leave him there, he might actually have the wormhole tech. Again, mm -hmm. I have my tin hat theory that he does not. But right. Right. So. So, yeah. And I think there's also a little bit of an element of of they are not the same kind of murderers mm -hmm. that Scorpius is. And they do have that element of compassion and empathy within themselves. And like, if we don't have to kill him, if there is a reason to keep him alive, then that's good enough justification to keep him alive. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So fortunately, Sukozu is ready for the riot. So basically, while this has been going on upstairs, we have had the the investigation into who let the who let the human and the sebation into the flower garden fight escalating in the control room amongst the Kalish and the chariots. Mm-hmm. And it does finally escalate into a fist fight and then into guns blazing. And it's chaos, chaos, chaos everywhere. And everyone's making a run for it. Mm-hmm. I have to point out the funniest part of this is that Dargo and Sakosu are pulling uh, like a hilarious version of um, I need help from <laughs> Thor 3, which is yes. that Dargo keeps grabbing Sakosu by her, her arm walking up to Sherrod and being like, will you take this piece of trout? And then as soon as they like reach for her, he like knocks them out. It's the <laughs> best thing. And they they do it like two times. And then they're, they're like, like it works. And then and they're, then like, they're it like, works. third time. Yeah. And then they go do it a third time. It's hilarious. Oh man. And we haven't talked a whole bunch about Chiano and Noranti. They've kind of been sidelined this episode, but they actually get to go do magic dust in the face of a Scarin. So Noranti got to have that fun. And everybody's running, running, running. And Aaron and John are carrying Scorpius, who is all fragile and frothing at the mouth still, to Lola, where there's a couple of Scarin mm-hmm. um, guards. And at one point, Scorpius like collapses because he's like, I don't want to go. And, you know, they basically get him back to his feet, point a gun at him, you know, force him to come with them. But then they're dealing with the, the Charids. And then Scorpius has this moment of like, you know, we, the audience, get this little preview of, oh, he's not as weak as he's is pretending to be. And then he clocks Aaron in the face and gets John on the ground, basically under his physical control. Mm-hmm. And that's where the episode ends. And you can hear the beeping of John's bomb, the ratcheting up of the beeping. That means that he is, he is unhappy and his heart rate is skyrocketing. And then it's to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So it's a good episode. Yeah, it's a real good episode. So that's where the episode ends. I'm going to be really curious to see what happens next. <laughs> yeah, I care. I remember bits of the next one, but there's a lot of details. I didn't remember a lot of details about this one. I pretty much only remember the opening speech and that was about it. Mm-hmm. And the dance on the elevator. Yeah. And that was about it. That's a good one. So, so yeah. what would you give this episode? I like this episode. I give it a four. Mm-hmm. I thought there's a lot of really good action even though the plot's very straightforward is actually very simple action which made it really followable and then i just love aaron and john and i thought the writing was really good yeah i think i would go with you because ironically the fact that nothing really goes wrong with their plan like when we talked <laughs> until the through, end <laughs> yeah until the very end like i when we talked it through, I was like, oh, yeah, usually like in an episode, they'll have plan A, something will happen, they'll have to make plan B and C and D on the fly. And, and I'm like, in plan this, M. Yeah. <laughs> Partisan dies in plan M. <laughs> this one, it doesn't fall apart until Scorpius at the end. Yeah. But I think because it's a two-parter, like we still have a second half to deal with. Well, two of a three-parter but as we said it's kind of like a two-parter with this one in the next episode like the pirates of the caribbean episode movies because there's mm-hmm. only you know the of the first three where the first one kind of stands on its own and then mm-hmm. two and three kind of go together and then there's no more pirates of the caribbean yeah. movies after that so sad they never made it <laughs> one after the third one <laughs> Uh, super sad also that they never made a second matrix movie (laughs) that was such a bummer (laughs) 
Anyway, so we'll find out what happens next time with We're So Screwed Part 3. La Bomba, I think, is the title of that one. So I guess there's something going on with the bomb in that one. I have a quick question off of Twitter. We got this one way back in February, and it was from a friend of the podcast, Andy Phelps. And Andy Phelps wanted to know, who is the bigger villain among the Scarens, Stalik or Anka, and why do you think so? Ooh, that's an interesting one. I think the one that I dislike more, and I think that the audience is maybe intended to dislike more, is Anka. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because she's the one who is kind of the rogue power, mm-hmm. right? So Stalik is here. He's towing John's line, right? He's willing to offer the trade. He's willing, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is they offer proof that he has control of the wormholes and they say, Hey, go to these coordinates and then call us when, when your striker gets there. And of course the striker gets swallowed by a wormhole. So, you know, Stalik is like playing along with John and Aaron, mm-hmm. right? But Anka is the one who's like, I'm going to see if John's really going to die if I like heat sensor him or, you know, do the scare and heat sense thing. And she's the one who's willing to go off script, which makes her a lot more unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why she's kind of the, the scarier villain. Mm-hmm. I'll agree with you maybe about scarier, but I also feel like Stalik is a pretty strong contender here because we can we know that apparently Scarin... Um, power doesn't necessarily flow from, you know, parent to child. It, it, there appears to be some sort of like strength involved or like backstabbing involved or like maybe it's a <laughs> maybe it's a Chronicles of Riddick thing of like whoever kills the dude gets the power. Yeah. So I think that for me that kind of I'm going to go with Stalik since apparently he has killed Anka's father and then maintained power for a really long time. That's fair. So I'm kind of like, hmm, curious to see how and why. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I think it'll be cool to see how it plays out over the next two episodes because we only have two more episodes of season four, folks. Yeah. Uh, just as a tiny preview, we've decided that we're going to do Peacekeeper Wars one hour at a time, and we're going to do a couple of wrap episodes, one for season four and then one for the series as a whole. So please start sending us any season wrap thoughts that you have. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think about this season? What did you like? What did you not like? Tell us your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. We love answering your questions. And on that note, um, I think we can call it a show. Yeah. I don't think we have anything for wardrobe watch, right? No, nah, everybody's in their normal outfits. Yeah. So we are Farscape Friday podcast on gmail.com, tumblr.com, and dreamwith.com. And we are Farscape Friday on Twitter. Yeah. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.